And welcome to Boundless Body Radio. I am your host, Casey Ruff, and today I'm here with a very special guest, a good friend of mine, fellow hockey player and firefighter, Jay Stevens. Jay, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me. It's, it's great. It's we've, nice to be on the other side of the controls. <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking about podcasting for um, quite some time. I'm glad we were finally able to do this. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've been trying to get you on my show for a while, and then COVID hit, and my show has been really hard to put together. It's been a weird year. And then I don't have a, I don't have a ton of, like I have control, but I don't have a ton of control. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Work, working for it's, it's different, like, but it's, it's good. I'm glad we finally get to do it. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I really want to talk, um, about your podcasting. I want to talk a little bit about hockey. I have to tell you, um, my self-esteem seems to be coming back in 2020. I'm not around as many hockey players because I'm not skating. And so I'm feeling a lack of uh, chirping in my life. Can you, yeah. tell, uh, can you tell the listener a little bit about what chirping is? Yeah, that's funny because that's actually what I tried to call my podcast was the chirp. I love it. And, and everybody at KSL was like, what are you talking about? Chirp? What does that even mean? This, is, this isn't a bird show. And I'm like, no, when hockey players rip <laughs> on each other, it's called chirping. And uh, it's, it's like the essential thing. You go in and guys knock you down for a while and... And we make fun of each other. And nowadays it seems like people just don't know how to handle it, right? Like in in the new society, I don't know how I don't know how these kids would handle walking into a locker room because you any any insecurities you have, guys are gonna peck on right away. Oh, oh and, uh, savage. Yeah. It's like you have any, it's like a chicken coop, you have any blood showing, everybody's gonna start picking at it. <laughs> Well, I feel as good about myself as I have in years and years and years. So uh, that's one positive thing <laughs> about this whole, this whole mess. Um, what has it been like to be away? Have you have you been skating? Have you been playing? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we all took the first. It, it took a couple months for any of us to get back into the rinks. They were just all shut down. And then we started kind of sneaking in, I guess. Like they started having... Uh, you could do a stick and puck and then we'd, we'd all go in and say we were going to do a stick and puck and then do like a drop in do just a regular practice. And, uh, man, it was hard because that's, it's not just my cardio. It's also, you know, for most of us, it's our therapy. It's my, it's my time to be, you know, hang out with the guys or whatever. So it's, it's important. I mean, I mean, I'm lucky cause I'm a fireman. So I have that. I mean, the whole firefighter world is, you know, it's like being a member of a big frat, and so you can still go decompress a little bit with the guys, but then you're also running on horrible calls all the time. And for me, I wanted to decompress in the locker room and make fun of somebody. It's it's better to just chirp on you when you walk in and make fun of you and, you know, ask you about leg, skipping leg day or whatever. And, uh, you know, so yeah, I missed all that. And then yeah. obviously the cardio, man, I, I noticed it right away. I went and we, we got time at the, at the Maverick center and we're like, all right, we're going to go for an hour and a half. I'm like, perfect. That's what I need anyway. And at about the 45 minute mark, I started going, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> I'm just out of shape. I don't, I don't wow. have it anymore, you know? So yeah, it's, it's just got all these elements to it that you don't realize that you need until they're taken away. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, I kind of decided that this wasn't really the year for me to do games, but I would do stick and puck. And so I stepped on the ice boy, for the first time since March, um, a few weeks ago doing a stick and puck and boy, it's amazing how quickly you lose even just the feel of your edges, your blades on the ice. I oh. felt even more Bambi like than I normally am. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's tough, you know, cause normally I, I like to skate three or four times a week Yeah, and like it's when it's gone, it's, it's gone. And you know, I, you have to build up to all that stuff. Like, especially as a goaltender, you have to rehearse and keep going and and like you said, you, you lose your edge work. I lose my sliding. I, I yep. lose, you know, my eye hand coordination on my glove or whatever. It's just, it's, it's tough to lose any of it. Yeah. Did you, were you like me? Did you fall in love with hockey? Like from a very, very young age? So I have a kind of a unique introduction to hockey. I, uh, I didn't know anything about it until I was like 14, 15 years old. And I was a skateboarder. I was, I was playing baseball. Uh, I was playing football. And I was playing soccer. I try not to admit that part, but <laughs> I was, uh, so I was, I was just playing all the other sports, but I was a skateboarder and growing up in Murray, there were only, you know, only so many places we could skate. And a, a kid built a rink in his, or not a rink. He built a half pipe in his backyard. And that just happened to be the Murray high coach. Uh, so I would go over there and we'd skate for a half hour, 45 minutes. And then we'd go, they had, they had a bunch of sticks and we'd just go play uh, street hockey. Hmm. And I just fell in love with it. I saw a game on TV 
And uh, at their house, it was uh, Edmonton Oilers versus Philadelphia Flyers. So it was Grant Fuhrer versus Ron Hextall. Oh, man. And I was like, that is what I want to be those guys. I want to be as good as Grant Fuhrer and as pest, you know, like as fired up as Ron Hextall. Those were the two guys I was like, I'm in. I just want to, I want to be that. So that was going to be another question of mine. Did you always know you wanted to be a goalie? Uh, I mean, from the minute I knew about hockey, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Wow. And uh, which was weird because I, you know, I, I pitched, I wasn't a catcher. Everybody kind of, there's a, there's yeah, yeah. a correlation be- between being a catcher. And uh, so I was, I was a pitcher and a shortstop and just seeing hockey. I just, I just wanted to be the goalie. That's so awesome. Oh, it was fun. That's great. Yeah. So you played in high school. Yeah. The first time I ever put on pads, the first time I borrowed them from uh, Jeff Elwell, who's still around and he was the Murray high goalie. He loaned me a set of pads and I tried out for Murray high. First time I ever put on hockey equipment. So were they, did they need a goalie or were you like really good? No, they had a goalie and I wasn't very good. I, I, you know, I'm still not very good. So <laughs> they, uh, they had a goalie, Lonnie Wack, great guy. Uh, great. I mean, just great family. And, and, uh, they were already established. They'd been playing grown, you know, growing up and, and I just, the thing I really had going for me was that I played a lot of baseball and that I had done karate my entire life. So I already had, mm. I could already do the splits and I could already do all that stuff. And I went to, I went to a, right, like literally a week before our first game, I went to a hockey camp, like a two day thing put on by Paul Skidmore. Do you know who yeah. that is? Oh yeah. Skate with Skitty. He had a Skate, hockey yeah. store. <laughs> Skate with Skitty, former St. Louis Blue and uh, Sully Golden Eagle. Yep. And he put on like a couple days worth of goalie camp where he taught you how to skate and he taught you how to do a skate save and he taught you how to move. And I went to the next game and I can't remember what happened. I don't remember if they pulled Lonnie or if they decided, uh, I can't remember if he got hurt, but they put me in and all that stuff came in and I, I did all right. And then I just ended up, you know, I split time with him a lot. And then that summer they sent me to the, the Murray high hockey coach to my sophomore and junior year sent me to a hockey camp in Minnesota. And, uh, it was weird because, you know, you go to this hockey camp and I was at a school that nobody had heard of at the time. And they said, Hey, you're a pretty good baseball player and you're a pretty good soccer player. Do you want to stay and go to school here? And I said, well, can I play hockey? They said, well, you're not very good, but you know, we have eight teams, so we're sure we could find a place for you. And so I went my sophomore year from Murray High, and I, we played 16 games and had 16 practices to my junior year. I started at Shattuck St. Mary's. Oh, yeah. Wow. And uh, I didn't end up staying there very long, but I was there for a few months. So I was there most of the summer, and then I stayed right up until tuition was due. And I didn't realize how much. Like, at the time, they wanted $18,000 to go to high school. And uh, my parents didn't have it. I didn't have it. So I was just like, it just kind of came to an end right there. And I came back and, get, and still did most of my junior year here at Murray. But that time in Minnesota playing every day, and then there was nothing else to do there. So you'd get up and you'd play and then you'd go to school and then you, you'd get back on the ice and you'd play with your friends. You, you could just get on and mess around because you had your own rink right there in the high school. And uh, I was playing. I was playing with some guys that were really good. And it wasn't... Like now when you say, oh, you went to Shattuck St. Mary's, they're like, oh, you were in the best program in the world. Well, it wasn't at the time. It was with like nobody had gone pro from there. Not many, many guys had gone to college from there. It was just, uh, it was just in its infancy. So like JP Parisi was just starting to get involved. So anyway, that, that time there, it turned my hockey life around. It really elevated what I was doing here. And uh, it also changed my grades, man. It was like. Good motivation. I learned how to do school and I learned to care about school a little bit. Oh, so it, cha- cool. it changed my life. Just two months there. That's amazing. Yeah. It's fun. That's great. And then you kept playing after high school. Yeah. I was playing after high school. I was, uh, man, I was, it's weird because when I look back at the, the things that happened and how they all had to happen, um, I was a DJ here for K bear. I was already, I was already doing that and I had a girlfriend here and I just planned on staying here. And I had no intention of going to college. I had no intention of doing anything else, but I was playing for a hockey team here and uh, with my friends playing junior C and I got a phone call from the coach and he said, look, I hate to play politics, but uh, I have to, I have to put another goalie on here. One of the parents that really kind of funds the team uh, wants me to change goaltenders and uh, sorry, but you're gone. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And I didn't, I didn't know at the time what I was even going to do. I just, it wasn't a good team. It's not like we were, 
you know, I, I wasn't planning my whole life around hockey right then. I just wanted to keep playing. And I got a phone call from a team in North Dakota called the Tri-City Kings, a junior B team. And they said, hey, we understand you just got cut. We saw you play in a tournament. Uh, do you want to play for us? And I, I didn't I didn't know if I really wanted to. I mean, I, I knew what I wanted to do is keep playing hockey. And I had this goal of playing on a team that had the national anthem before a game that was like, that was like my biggest dream. I'm like, man, if I could just be there for one national anthem, my life would be complete. And so I, I packed up and I moved to Canada. I was playing for the Tri-City Kings, which was kind of out of uh, Grand Forks and Fargo. And, wow. and then I got traded and I was up in Canada and I was everywhere I was at. I was like, it was better than where I was before. And I was getting more playing time and I was getting better. And uh, it just, one thing turned into another and I just kept playing. And I, I ended up staying in North Dakota for a while and loving mm-hmm. it. And then... There was an opportunity to play here. They, I was looking at, I was trying to get into an actual NCAA program. So I was playing for N, NJCAA. I was playing junior college in a little town called Botno, North Dakota, which is at the time horrible. <laughs> like it was so bad. It was 40 below. It was, it was, you know, I, for an 18 year old, 19 year old, I was kind of miserable there. And I look back and I'm like, I loved it there. I want to move back. Wow. Like the people there are amazing. Everything was, but when you're 18, you don't appreciate what was around sure. you. I just knew that I had a girlfriend here and I was lonely there and I didn't want to be there. So I got a phone call from uh, a guy named Joe Bernardi. I don't know if you know Joe. Uh, no. Yeah. So Joe was putting together the, the, the club teams here, the U, uh, Weber, Utah State, all those schools. And they're like, we want all of our players that are playing somewhere else, somewhere else to come back and you should come back to Utah and represent. So uh-huh. I got a phone call the next day from a guy named Sean Thorson, who was coaching Weber State and came back the next season. So I was, I went from trying to, I was, I was trying to make the North Dakota, I was already enrolled in school at the university of North Dakota and I was either going to play club or be their fifth goalie for their D their D one team. And I was also kind of trying to talk to coaches into St. Cloud to like, Hey, just let me be on the team. Like, uh, you know, I'll broadcast, I'll do whatever you want. Just let me be on the team. But all of a sudden I had an offer. I came here and uh, got to play a couple of years at, at Weber, which wow. was amazing. And you got that national anthem? I got to, yeah, I got that actually in North Dakota and then we got <laughs> it at Weber and it, I, I appreciate it every time. That's great. Like I really do. And I, and I love it when we get to do it with the Grizzlies. I just, it's so cool to me to be on the ice and get to hear the national anthem. That's amazing. So the Grizzlies are our, um, our double A affiliate, correct? Or triple A. Triple A. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. They are double A. Double A. So tell me, tell the listener how many goalies a team will typically have. Okay, so and this is, this gets a little weird with the Grizzlies right now with their affiliation, but typically, um, especially if you're the Double A affiliate, you're going to carry two goalies, and you realize that one of your goalies is under contract with your NHL team, and so at any minute they could go anywhere they tell them to go. So yeah, typically, but the Colorado Avalanche want the Grizzlies to carry three, hmm. so they have usually two under contract with the Avalanche and then one free agent. Gotcha. How many are they allowed to dress in a game? So you're only allowed to dress two. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So explain to the listener what the difference between a backup goalie and an emergency goalie is. So an emergency, an emergency backup goalie called the e-bug is a uh, it's a position that's always been around, but they just kind of named it over the last ten years, and that's a guy that uh, really has another job and isn't signed by the team and is available to practice with either team during the, during the week. So like whoever the Grizzlies are getting ready to play, if their goalie gets pulled up or gets injured or catches the cold or whatever, then they bring in the e-bug. And typically what the e-bug does is practice. And then the other goalie usually sits the bench. Sometimes the e-bug does sit the bench. Like I've sat over 200 games for the Grizzlies and, uh, yeah, you're just like that emergency guy. You're just there and, uh, you just go in whenever they need you. So as the emergency goalie, you're not necessarily planning on even getting dressed. Is that correct? Yeah. A lot of times, I mean, you know, you're going to practice that morning and, uh, cause you'll get the phone call for whatever reason. And they'll see like, all right, we need you for practice today, or we need you for practice and the game. So you'll know at that point that you are dressing that night and you'll be the backup to you know, whether the starter or the original backup got hurt, you're the number two guy on the bench that day. Gotcha. But the odds of actually getting into a real game 
is uh, that that just doesn't happen. No, it really doesn't. I mean, it's starting to happen now that e-bugs are a real thing and you, you saw it here and there, you know. Sure. It's uh like I said, uh 200 games plus. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. with with so, zero playing time. So what happened on December 10th, uh 2016? Yeah, crazy night. So I'm trying to remember if I even got to practice that morning. I almost think I didn't I didn't get the call in time to practice. I think they their goalie got pulled up and the Grizzlies called me and said, Hey, we need a guy to dress tonight. So I remember getting to the rink and it's just weird because there are some times where I'll come to the rink and I'll, and you know, you got to get there at five o'clock and there's a bunch of professional athletes doing things that professional athletes do. Like it takes them two hours to get warmed up and dressed and stretched. And I'm, I'm not that guy. It takes, you know, it's, I'm used to showing up to the rink and like, uh, almost stretching, maybe for five minutes, you know, like <laughs> whatever. And, uh, that night I just happened to kind of take it serious. I was, I, well, I think I was just bugging Evan Stofflet. I think I was just following him around, whatever he was doing, I would do too. And so he was doing some stretches and then, um, Evan's great. Uh, yeah. Evan's a fun dude. And he's, <laughs> he's really fun to bug. So I think I was just, I was bugging him and then a couple of the other guys and just getting involved with their stretching. And then I think I went and sat like, um, you know, I'll, I'll go sit in the back room and play on my phone. You're not supposed to have your phone, but you know, what are they going to do? Cut me. I, I don't even make any money. <laughs> so I would just go and mess around. And I was, I remember I took the warm ups kind of, kind of real. And, uh, in the third period, we're in a two, two game and, uh, we're killing a penalty. The Grizzlies are killing a penalty and, uh, we're playing rapid city and rapid city comes down and they, instead of just dumping the puck, they wind up and take a, like a, just a killer slap shot that hits the other goalie right in the face and splits his eye wide open. <laughs> and I could see right away that he needed, he needed stitches. Like I could see from where I was sitting, I watched the shot hit him in the, in the face and I know how those feel. And I could see when he kind of grabbed his, fi- his face with his glove and I could just immediately see the blood. And by the color of blood, you know, whether it's just going to be like, is it a merely a flesh wound or does he really need stitches? And I knew he needed stitches. And I was like, oh, I should probably go help that dude. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm not the medic today. I'm the goalie. And I was like, I'm going to have to get my gear on and go in. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't, I was getting to the point where at, during the games, I'd be like, well, all right. It's the second period. I'm not going to wear my throat guard anymore because it's hot and it's uncomfortable. And I'm just sitting on the bench and it's hard to watch the game with this thing on, you know. So I would taken off my throat guard that I wear underneath my chest protector. And I was like, all right, so I don't have my throat guard on. And I just, I wasn't ready to go in. But You said I, this is third period. Yeah, third period. Wow. Yeah. How much time left? Uh, like 12 minutes, I think. I think okay. I played 12, 12 something. So, so <laughs> you... You're not paid. You're not necessarily on the team at all. You're right. in an emergency situation. This guy gets blasted in the face. Yep. You're in. Yep. Conference right. game, playoff implications, tied game. It had been a heated game the whole game. And uh, yeah, I, I went in and I just remember, and we uh, unwisely, this was, the, I, I, we were trying to delay because we thought maybe they could just bandage him up and get their real goalie back in. We took a delay a game penalty. So we were already shorthanded. So not only did I get put in the game, but we got, I get put in on a five on three situation. Wow. And, uh, I just remember, uh, one of the guys came over to me and he's like, Hey, you play hockey every day. This is just a hockey game. One of the Grizzlies. Yeah. He's just like, just be ready for it. It's just hockey. You play. You're good enough to be here. Let's go. <laughs> that helped a ton. It's I was funny. Say that must've helped. It's funny getting encouragement from a 19 year old or whatever, but I was like, yeah, thanks man. That was uh, a, <laughs> that's very wise of you to say to me right now. Cause it, it helped calm me down a, a bunch. Wow. Did the other team take it easy on you at all? Not at all. No, they were gunning for me. And uh, I mean, because like I said, playoff implications, 2-2 game. These teams hated each other. And sometimes when these things happen, they see blood and they go for it. And there have been times when, uh, I know in Idaho, there was a time when an e-bug got put in and they kind of, the other team ran them right off the bat. Wow. Just Just run up the score. Yeah, I mean, it's... There, there's professional courtesy, and then there's also the fact that you're playing a professional sport, and right. these guys are getting paid to win. Right. And and you're in their way. Describe the level of competition in the ECHL, because I think a lot of people think, like, oh, it's not the NHL, you're two levels down, these guys aren't that good. Like, tell me a little bit about, like, the true level. Yeah, it blows my mind all the time, and, I, and I've, I've had to have this argument a few times with people that have, been, have said stuff like, and that, again, I'm not trying to be derogatory towards the guys that are here playing for the Ogden Mustangs, and... 
And that, that league, but guys are like, oh, the, the Mustangs are better. Well, no, they're not. You're, you're talking about kids that have either played four years of NCAA at a, like a major university like North Dakota or Michigan, or they've been playing in the Canadian junior leagues, you know, at the top leagues. And last year they were on a line with, you know, Cody Glass or whatever, like guys that are first round draft picks. And they're, they're the guys that are, they're not the first round draft picks and they're not the second round draft picks, but sometimes they're guys that were just outside the draft or got drafted and just didn't make the NHL squad that year. So they're in the system. These are guys that are good, that have been playing their whole lives and have played at the highest levels. And for the most part, have been the best players on their teams. And they're, the talent level is good in, yeah. the, in the competitiveness, man. It's, it's incredible. And, and to get put in one of those games and, Anybody that's had the opportunity to sit glass side and see how intense and how physical yes. these games are, these guys are murdering each other every shift. Yep. And I mean, it's, it's intense. Young guys trying to work their way up in the system. hundred percent. And they're willing to do whatever it takes. I yeah. mean, they've been playing their whole lives and they're passionate about the game. So they're going to fight and they're going to do whatever it takes. And it's, it's fun to be around those kids wow. and it's intense. And it was, uh, it was an intense night. I've seen, I've seen obviously them play and I've seen some NHL teams play. And I, it, to me, it's almost like a lot of these guys maybe just needed three more inches or something like they yeah. needed to be just a little taller, but the skill is incredible. hundred percent. You're going to see those guys that are, uh, either they were too big and a little, a step behind, like literally a half a step behind a half a second behind is going to mean the difference between you being in the, in the league and being in the minors. And, uh, or you have guys that were too short. I mean, think about a few years ago before they passed all the clutching and grabbing rules, you had some of the best players in the world that didn't make the NHL because the NHL was built of six foot four giants that could just hold on to you. And if you're a little fast guy, I mean, take Greg Lieb here uh, for anybody that knows who Greg Lieb is, he is one of the most phenomenally skilled players and one of the best skaters you'll ever see in your life. The only reason he didn't stay in the NHL was because he's like 5'9". And if he was two years younger and could have waited till they passed all those rules, he would have been a premier player in the NHL. Wow. And, and, and if the rules hadn't changed, then you wouldn't be hearing about guys like Zach Parisi and all these other guys that are 5'10". You know, that sure. aren't, you know, and those are the guys that are turning this league into just the buzzsaw that it is. I mean, it's so fast. Wow. And it's these little guys that before you could be fast and guys would just hold on to you. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So, so how does the game go? <laughs> uh, you know what? It went really well for me. And I don't know, I don't know how it went well for me because I saw like right off the bat, I started seeing shots and uh, I saw a shot. The first shot I saw was off the face off and I just read it really well. They, they made a pass from one D to the other D and he took a one timer and I knew it was blocker side and I controlled it. I caught it on my blocker. And I've told this story a few times. That's an old school save. New goalies don't do that. Like only guys my age or older catch stuff on their blocker. And I, I made that save and the, the guy from Rapid City looks at me and he goes, last time I saw that save, I think it was in black and white. <laughs> so they started, chir- yeah, they started chirping me right away. And then the one, one, one of the guys even, he's like, how old are you anyway? Like just chirping right away. How old were you at the time? 43. Yeah. 43. Young 43. <laughs> and then there was, there was a play right after that. I made, I made two saves like that. And then they, they made another play on, uh, they came down somehow. This is what's crazy. We know we're down, but we got a, aggressive with trying to ice the puck. And we ended up with like a, it was either a two on one or a three on one in our, in our end coming at me. And I knew the guy wasn't going to shoot. I could look in his I, I saw that he was trying to draw me out. And I went out a little bit, but I was completely loaded to slide across to the other side because I knew he was going to try to go for the one-timer. And he passed it across. I slid across. The guy took a one-timer. I stopped it perfectly. It went, the rebound went straight up. And my defenseman, I think it was John Pushkar at the time, uh, was playing defense on this shorthanded situation. And Pushkar... Batted the puck out of the air, but also smacked me in the face with his stick and broke my screw on my, that holds my straps together. So now not only am I five on three and I'm playing in a game that I have no business being in, but now my mask is loose too. And I'm, and I tried to get it fixed, but the refs thought I was just stalling and wouldn't give us time. And, uh, so things just kept working out in, in my favor. The guy came down. I thought for a minute he was going to dump it behind the net. Steady takes a slap shot. And I, I saved it. I thought for a minute that it went in. 
And uh, I remember thinking, okay, well, I just got scored on. That's all right. That's how that happened. But it didn't. It stayed it stayed in my five hole. It stayed in my gear. And I played it. And then the next time he came down and I didn't move quick enough because I'm like, all right, is he going to shoot it or is he going to dump it around the glass? And he dumped it around the glass. I went out to play it. It was so old and slow that I didn't get behind the net to stop it. And it reamed all the way around and went right to their bench. And they were changing because they figured a real goalie would have stopped the puck behind the net. And tried to play it, right? So my bad goaltending led to them getting a too many men on ice because they, nice. <laughs> they were just in the middle of change. The guy jumped out of the puck right there and he touched it. I'm like, all right, sweet. We got a guy back. That's great. Yeah, it was crazy. And it was all just because of bad skills. And there was twice that I thought I got beat and the puck just stayed with me. Like, so I had a lot of puck luck that day. Wow. Yeah. And things just hit me and I, I made, it was like 11 saves in 11 minutes or something. And That's crazy. Yeah, it was fun. So Perfect. You're perfect in your professional yeah, unpaid yeah. hockey career. Yeah. And there's there's a tiny bit more to the story that I wasn't supposed to tell at the time because I had been put in games for the Idaho Steelheads or for the Alaska Aces back in 98, 99, 2000 when it was the West Coast League, when they didn't keep track of who the emergency backup was. And there, and so the very first time I ever got put in was against, uh, I was playing for Alaska. I was e-bugging with Alaska and their goalie was just sick. And the coach, we were already down six, nothing to Idaho, who was just steamrolling everybody that year. And Alaska wasn't that good. And the head coach just said, Hey, next goal, you're going in. And like not, he wasn't telling anybody I was going in because by, oh, that's the other part about being an emergency backup. By league rules, you don't just get to go in. You ha- there has to be an injury. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's, and a lot of people don't. There has to be an injury. There has to be like a legitimate reason. They can't just put in an emergency backup goalie. So let's say the team is using their backup goalie and they're down 10 nothing. The guy's just getting completely lit up. Yep. He, he still has to be injured. He's, yeah, he has to ride that storm. Hmm. But at that time, uh, Walt Podubny was the coach of uh, Alaska, and he just looked at me and he goes, "All right, I'm at the next goal." Um, the other goalie was uh, Dan, his name was Dan McIntyre, and they just had him come over and they had me go in. They didn't announce it, they didn't do anything, they just changed it, and I went in. And the very first shooter I saw was Cal Ingraham, who was phenomenal. Like I think he's the all-time leading scorer for the Idaho Steelheads. He has two national championships with Paul Correa at Maine, and he just comes in and completely undresses me. Like, I don't even think he shot the puck. I think he just put it in the net. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, those stats aren't on my record anywhere. So statistically I played one game for the Grizzlies and I got, I'm a hundred percent. That's amazing. I'll take it. Did they win? The Grizz? Yeah. Yeah. We won the night. You won. So they, you ended up scoring the third goal. So they, uh, for the final, like 45 seconds, the other goalie got his stitches. He came back in, tagged me out. He went in and got the win we scored with the, like the, with a minute left or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, man, I really wanted to finish the game. I didn't want to get scored on. And I knew that anytime they even looked my way, there was a chance the puck was going to go in the net. So (laughs) I was thankful that uh, I made it out perfect and uh, we won. But I didn't get credit for the win. That would have been awesome. That (laughs) would have been been awesome. awesome. (laughs) I didn't earn it either. So it's fair. What was the response from the team? The team was phenomenal. The other goaltender was phenomenal. Like everybody was just so pumped up to be part of it. And it was just like it, it blew up. Like one of the guys took a picture of me and put it on his, his Twitter. Like we were in the locker room together and celebrating and he tagged, he's like, I'm in this with this 45 year old goalie. And I'm like, no, 43, Bob, come on, <laughs> give me a minute here. <laughs> but anyway, it, it blew up and it went viral. And I literally went back to the firehouse that night and woke up the next morning with like a hundred messages from ESPN, NHL network. It just went viral. That I remember night. seeing crazy. something on Barstool. Yeah, Barstool took it. Yeah, <laughs> that's where uh, I think my son's video, or actually one of the kids I coached, uh, sent it to my son. My son posted it, and Barstool posted my son's post. That's amazing. Yeah, that was my son's favorite part of the night. He didn't care that I got in. He cared more that Barstool shared his story. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Made him insta famous or whatever. Wow. Yeah, it was a good night, man. It was a lot of fun, and it was Star Wars night, so I got to wear a Star Wars jersey. And awesome, yeah. The the booster club bought it for me, so I got that jersey that night. That's great. Yeah, it's really cool. You still have the jersey? I do. I have every intention of getting it framed. That's awesome. You I should. still haven't done it. I have the puck too. Evan Stofflet went out and got me the game puck. That's amazing. So yeah, I have that puck. So it, it was actually when I made the first save, that one that I caught. Evan took that puck and gave it to the trainer and made That's sure. That's awesome. Yeah, kind of cool. Oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, so fun. Cool. That's great. 
What a great story. Let's, uh, let's take a little break and uh, come back here in about 20, 30 seconds. So I have to ask you about this. Um, I, I asked Pace Mannion, a uh, former NBA player, what he thought of the NBA concluding a successful season. Um, NHL gets shut down in March. They, um, you know, there's no hockey going on. They end up bubbling up. They go to Toronto and to Edmonton, and they finish out the regular season and finish out the, the Stanley Cup playoffs without, I don't think they had any real problems. No, no problems, no COVID, no, uh, no COVID issues or positives. And, I, I don't know why the NHL doesn't get more credit for how creative they were with that and how they were, they all bought in, right? Like right, right away, this was a weird thing. They, if initially they were going to pick four markets and Vegas was going to be one of them. And you know, when, when it, when they cracked down and they brought all the teams back and you know, on my, on, on my hockey thing through KSL, I was posting things from that and I'd see some of the, the comments and people would have negative comments about, about oh, it. Please. And I was like, I am so grateful that there is hockey going on right now. Yeah. And you could see, I, I think maybe not having fans there took away 5%, but maybe just for us, like the players don't care no. if there are fans in the stands. What they care about is winning hockey games and playing hockey. They playing love hockey. hockey more than anything, right? And they got out there and they played and they worked and they they put on a great product and a great show. I, th- I thought it was just phenomenal. Yeah. Like, I, I loved it. And uh, like I said, I was just so grateful to have hockey and to have the playoffs. And uh, it was just, I thought it was awesome. Agreed. I thought and it was I, amazing. I thought they did a great job. And I thought the others, I, I see the NBA did a lot of what they did. I, th- I think the NHL went first and they kind of yep. had the template out first. Yep. And I thought, man, that's that's the way to do it. Yeah, I agree. And I, all the sports should take take. Nope. I, I totally agree. It's going to be tough this next year with, you know, with fans, without fans, whatever they decide to do there. Um, financially, that makes makes it really difficult. But I agree. I think I, I think I like what you said about creativity. They really found a way to have hockey. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, there's no way. So major teams, NHL, whatever, they, they're fine without fans. They're, they're going to make it. Because they have, you're still going to go out and you're going to, you you know, you have your Knights hat on right now and you're going to go out and you're going to buy your stuff and uh, you're going to watch it on TV and the major dollars are going to come in from their corporate sponsors that way. Minor leagues will not exist without fans. Mm. Minor leagues are, I would say, 75 to 80% fan base driven by ticket sales. So the Grizzlies, if if they're not allowed, and, and I joke around with the Grizzlies that they're already socially distancing, right? Because you have a 14,000 square or 14,000 seat arena and you get 5,000 fans a night or, you know, around that 5,000, sure. 6,000 fans. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to say 6,000 tickets sold per night and maybe 4,000 butts in seats. And uh, there's plenty of room. Yeah. And I think that they can make it happen. Cool. If for some reason they, it, they don't have fans, it won't happen for minors. Yeah. Wow. They just can't afford it. Yeah, you, don't, you don't have TV contracts. Yep. Man, that'll be tough. Yeah, that affects the whole system. Yeah, for sure. Dang. It's a lot of jobs that'll be lost. Interesting. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, firefighting. Okay. Tell me, when was it that you knew you wanted to be a firefighter? So that's, I've answered this question a lot. And especially lately, I just went through a huge testing process uh, for uh, promotional stuff through the fire department. Um, I knew when I was young because of a show called Emergency. That, I remember that. Oh yeah, like and it's still on, and I watch it every day. It's on. <laughs> it's on the St. George channel. If you're looking for it, they've got the emergency, and then Adam Twelve, and then NYPD Blue at night. So I just I still watch the same stuff I watched growing up. But I knew back then, like I knew I wanted to be a fireman, and I knew I wanted to be a paramedic. I didn't know what a paramedic was, and then I kind of lost sight of it a little bit when I was chasing the game and chasing hockey because I knew at 18 I had the opportunity to get hired on with Salt Lake City Fire, and I didn't take it. I mean, can you imagine I'd have 30 plus years in the system already if wow. I would have taken it, but I don't regret it. I just, I kind of regret not being retired and 
<laughs> my body's not going to keep up much longer. But I knew then, and then I uh, there was a time like I, I remember playing football, and one of my friends got hurt. And I wanted to go help him, and I was the guy that uh, like when my friends would get in trouble at night or whatever, they'd call me at two in the morning, and I'd go pick them up from whatever stupid situation they were in. I always liked being able to respond to that stuff, and I liked to be able to respond all the time. So I went through school, got a completely different degree. And then my wife and I sat down and I said, okay, I guess we're having a baby now and I need to grow up and I don't want to do what I studied in school. Like I studied criminology and I don't want to do anything with that. So I just went and became a firefighter. (laughs) Just like that. Yeah. Well, I signed up, I took the test. Uh, When I took the test, 7,000 people took it and they hired 45 out of the 7,000. Wow. And I was lucky enough to be one of them. And I, 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 that's directly related to the fact that I was still in college taking written tests all the time. And when I went in and took that written test, I knew what they were looking for on those answers. And I scored 13 out of 7,000 on that test. Wow. Yeah, so I was really lucky. And I, I, man, I've just had the greatest career. And it's uh, Don Korth, who's a, a longtime firefighter and longtime yeah. hockey guy. Yeah. He told me when I got hired on, he's like, this is a good life. You will never get rich, but you'll love your job. Wow. And that's, it's exactly true. I mean, I, I make civil servant wages, but... I love going to work. I love the people I work with. It's amazing. I, I had some really good calls just recently. I mean, not good for my patients, but we had good outcomes on really bad calls, calls that could go tragic quick. And I was able to use what I was taught to do and save a few lives. And, you know, technically we save lives all the time, but I mean, these ones were really, we made life or death decisions right there and pushed medicines right then and there, or did a procedure right then and there that made the difference. And those people have come back and they've, I've, I've posted them on my Instagram and stuff. They're like super thankful. And those, those things just really reward you in, in your life and your job. And knowing that you helped somebody through that kind of, that moment, you know, bringing order to chaos, that's, it's worth not being rich. That's amazing. Yeah. It's fun, man. It's, it's amazing. And like I said, the, the brotherhood of, of firefighters, sure. is, you know, before I came here, I, I knew a guy just needed to talk. So we acted like we were going to go shooting and we went to the gun range and we didn't fire one shot. We just hung out and talked because he needed to talk and I knew it. So that's the brotherhood and it's wow. there. It's that's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. And the guys are there for you and you're there for them. That's super cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an amazing career. What's the sketchiest situation you've ever been in? <sighs> it depends on what you want to go by with sketchy. Cause I mean, it's uh there, I've had a lot of life or death moments for myself too. I mean, there are times where you have like the, uh, uh, well, I can even just tell you about stuff this week, like uh, getting a call and their police say they've got an officer injured and they need you to expedite the scene secure because, you know, I'm not armed. All I have, is I can shock somebody maybe or push, you know, throw needles at them. But they, I, I knew a cop was hurt and we go flying into this area and I grab my medical equipment, go running into the area and realize right away that I'm walking into a almost a little riot. And they're not secure, not secure at all. And uh, I turn around, I'm like, oh, not secure, not secure, not secure. Tell my guys to go back. And uh, right at that same time, they brought me like three, two or three patients. And then, and I'm like, all right, this guy, what's, these aren't the cops. Is there a cop hurt? I need to know, like, I want to prioritize these, these two that they brought me have like flesh wounds. I can treat these, but I was told to expedite for a cop. And uh, we finally got, we got the cop, but like, I just started handing patients to other guys to treat like EMTs. Right. So I'm a paramedic and I started just handing uh, patients that weren't critical to other guys. So I wanted to get to the critical patient, just triaging right there basically. Mm -hmm. So that's a little sketchy. And I I remember there are times where you're like, okay, uh, this house is ripping on fire there. This, this house is just ripping with fire and uh, I got to go in. You know, you know, your first house fire, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm really going to do this. I'm really going in this house that's on fire and completely dark. It's not like in the movies where you can see anything. You can't see anything at all. all. The smoke is so dark in a house fire. Like I have a flashlight mounted to my helmet and I have a flashlight mounted to my chest and they do zero good in most of the smoke that you're in. You have to fill your way through these houses. And, uh, it's intense. Like it's a real no structural knowledge. You don't know what the house looks yeah, like. And, if there's a hole in the floor already. Yeah, exactly. Fire. Exactly. And I've I've fallen into a hole before. I didn't fall through the floor, but I 
I fell in a, a home that was just being completed. We didn't realize we were cr- when we went in. We checked. You know, you pound the floor with a. I have an axe in my hand usually, and I pound the floor and I go crawling in, and it seems like it's secure. But what I didn't know is I was on this huge door that had fallen, like these these. Uh, I think they were ten foot tall, like barn doors that would shut off the kitchen area, and they were being stained. Which that's one clue to how the house caught on fire is they were being stained and they'd fallen down. So when I opened up, I was actually crawling on one of these big oak doors and it was completely solid. And then when I crawled off that door doing a search for victims, the floor had burned through and I almost fell right in. So of course I grabbed my partner and almost brought him with me. And that's, that's what kept <laughs> us from going in. And uh, so, yeah, there's some real intense moments and you know, it's uh, it's also, it's also what makes the job so cool. Do you ever get used to it? I, yeah, I mean, there are parts of it you're definitely used to and you go on some stuff all the time, you know, and, uh, you're familiar with it, with it. I don't, I don't ever want to say that I'm used to it or complacent about it because I I know that everything I do, like you said, you don't know if this house you're going into, even though it looks like the last house fire you were on, you don't know what they've changed in that house. So you don't want to just go in there and be used to it, right? You want it to be scary and intense so that you're doing things right and being uh, smart about everything, hmm. you know, cause complacency kills in our, in our business hundred percent. And, and it doesn't matter if it's a house fire or a traffic accident or, you know, a Canyon rescue or just going on somebody that's, you, you just never know what you're going into. Sure. So complacency is not your friend. And I, I mean, how much more difficult is your job this year in 2020 with the pandemic going on? That's a whole nother element. I don't, yeah, it's uh, it's irritating. Yeah, because you gotta wear that mask, right? right? And it's not the mask that you're. When we go on a call, we have to wear that N95. Mm. And uh, I remember the first full arrest we went on. Um, I can't violate HIPAA, so I gotta make sure I, I'm careful <laughs> with what I say. But the first rule, I, the, the first uh, full arrest I went on. So somebody's having a heart attack, and it's a COVID-related heart attack. So. Uh, everything's different and it was a big girl and she didn't fit into, we have a machine that does CPR for us now, which is super mm-hmm. handy, but it, she didn't fit into it. So we had to do manual CPR and it, it, we worked for about a half hour as doing manual CPR. And then I intubate her, which means I put a breathing tube down mm-hmm. her throat, which is highly dangerous during COVID. Cause now not only is there a tube down her throat, but it's, it's aerializing everything, all the COVID. Yep. So then we have to put a filter on that. You have to put a, a cover over them. You have every, every one of us are in a little Tyvek suit and then you've got, and you're working hard. You're doing CPR. You're, you're pushing meds. You're shocking. You're doing all these um, advanced cardiac life moves and you're sweating like crazy because you're inside this house that was already hot to begin with and you're doing manual labor. And so that part is kind of frustrating. The other part is people are scared. So you have people that need to call 911, but they're afraid to because they don't want to go to the, they know that everybody at the hospital has COVID or they think your ambulance is contaminated with mm-hmm. COVID. So it's, it's just, such a, it's a weird world right now. Yeah. People are scared and, and it's a real thing. I mean, people, when they have COVID, they are struggling to breathe mm. and whatever you want to say about wearing masks or whatever, I've been around a lot of COVID. And like I told you about doing this podcast, I said, if I go on anybody that's COVID, then we're just going to have to do remote, whatever. Right. Cause I try not to go around anybody. That's the other weird part, right? Is now I go home. I've seen like 10 COVID patients. I didn't see any this round, but uh, like, like let's say it's a typical round and I've been on 10 COVID patients. And now what I just go home and what does that do to my family? Right. Right. And now I can't go see my grandparents cause I know that I'm their highest risk. Seeing me is going to be my highest risk. And my grandfather's 93. I used to go see him every day yep. or, you know, every week. Yep. I don't, I haven't maybe seen him three or four times since COVID. Sure. So it's, uh, it's the same for me as it is for everybody else. I think it's just a, a lot of adjustment and yeah. trying to keep people alive. Hmm. Interesting. I think a lot of people, you know, say that the elderly, you know, they're going to die anyway. They're already advanced age, but I don't think a lot of people realize how people die when they have COVID. It's alone, miserable. isolated. Yeah intubated. Yeah. It's miserable. And the the alone part's the hardest part. I think, I think, um, for anybody that you talk to that, you know, you're, you know, you're mortal. Right. And, uh, 
my grandfather was telling, it's funny. He was telling me the other day, he's like, you know, I always thought I'd live till I was 93 and now I'm 93. Seems like, it seems like it's right. You know, so he, you, you're cognitive of it. You know what's going on. And for most people, I don't, it's the, not the death that, that worries them. It's the fact that they're alone mm. and you can't, and my grandpa would rather, he does not want to give it. Like if my grandpa got it, he would not want to give it to my grandma. Right. So he, he'd want to be strict on that. Mm. And be alone, yeah. you know? So it's just, it's such a crazy time. And it's so Tough. frustrating. It's so sad. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and you take these people from their house and you know that maybe they'll come back. You know, these people that are struggling and you're helping breathe and, and maybe they'll come back to the house. But yeah. for the next couple months, they're going to be getting to know a nurse or two nurses and that's going to be their world. Wow. But luckily now we do have FaceTime and stuff. So yeah, that's, that's good. That helps. Can you imagine... No. 30 years ago and no. you couldn't even FaceTime somebody? No, it'd be so rough. Yeah, it's horrible. Wow. Um, tell me just a little bit about the type of fitness level you need, not only to you know be a goalie and come into emergency situations <laughs> on the ice, um, but also to be a firefighter. I mean, it sounds like you have to be a completely jack of all trades. You have to do everything. Ah, uh, yeah, the jack of all trades. Um, so... It's, it's different. You know, we, that's something our, our department's struggling with right now because, uh, luckily we do have a big, uh, a big movement in the fire department that always keeps their guys healthy. And now, and you, you can attest to this more than anybody fitness over even the last 20 years has changed as far mm -hmm. as how we're getting fit and what kind of fitness we're doing. And, you know, when I first started the fire department, all we needed was a bench and we're going to go down and we're going to bench press and then somebody's going to run a couple miles. But now we've learned more. Now we want TRX. Now we want kettlebells. Now we want, you know, we wanted to expand on what we were doing. I told you, I, you know, I just keep randomly picking stuff. And the funny thing is I've told you before, like you and I come to the locker room and you sit down and uh, I just ask you a few questions. And then, then uh, like the next time I see him is going to ask you a few questions. So after like a course of, uh, you know, three or four practices, I basically got a, a free lesson out of you. <laughs> I'm going to charge you. <laughs> so that's what firemen do though, is we're like, we're, we're constantly looking for other ways to stay fit and you have to keep the cardio because, and I say this all the time, and I know I'm going to get grief over it. So just send the emails to Casey if you're going to complain about this, <laughs> but it's not, it's not the 90 pound cheerleader that needs to be pulled out of their house. Eh? That's like, it's not the, it's not the super fit person that you're rescuing. It's usually the three or 400 pound person that need, you need to lift and carry downstairs and in awkward positions sure. and transfer what you're carrying to somebody else out the doorway or whatever. So the, the way you need to be fit in order to, pre to prevent injury, like number one, you want to prevent injury because otherwise you're just going to be a problem on scene. And number two, you need to get your job done because a lot of time what, we can't just take a break. You can't just leave a guy on the side of the hill because you got worn out or right. leave the person in their bathtub when they fell down and broke their leg in their bathtub just because they're, that's awkward, right? Like, you know, you got to get in there. You got to figure out a way to pick them up. So you, you have to have, you have to be strong and you have to be flexible and you have to have the cardio. And we have ways of trying to measure that stuff at the fire department, but man, we're, we're getting so much better at it now. Huh. And I think the fitness level across police and fire now is so much better than what it was when I first hired on. That's cool. And you don't see anybody smoke anymore. That guy's used to, I literally would walk out of a house fire and have the guy behind me light up a cigarette. And like I'm barely breathing. And they're just like, and they won't even, they didn't even wear masks. Like when, when I first hired on masks were just coming on and the guys made fun of you for wearing them because fire is a lot like hockey. They're going to chirp you the whole time. And if you, if you were the guy that was on air in that fire or you were, you know, you wore your air pack to go fight a, a garbage fire or a car fire. They just thought you were weak, but yeah, I'm weak and cancer free later, you know, like, yeah, I, right. but yeah, you just, you have to change that fitness level. And then the weird thing about the hockey is my entire life as a goalie, they didn't want goalies to be strong. Like they don't want goalies lifting weights because my style of goaltender was always in the splits and always doing crazy things. It's changed a lot. You don't, you will hardly ever see a goalie in the splits nowadays, right? Mm -hmm. they, there's, there's so much more agile when they're down and they can just push around and, and move, but they still didn't want goalies to be ripped. They wanted goalies to be flexible. So a few years ago, 
I wanted to change my body cell. I wanted to get a little stronger and build muscle. And that's why I kept harassing you and stuff and finally joined the other gym. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I need to, I've been around pro sports my whole life and I don't know how to lift weights. Right. Like I knew, like anybody can bench press, right? But I wanted to build certain things and get and get stronger. And, and that was like the goal is I've had, I've had the meat and potatoes stuff. I needed to learn all the other stuff. And it's, it helps me in my everyday life. And it definitely helps me with the Grizzlies. And their coach they have now is like, his, his practices are hard. And they're typically a pro practice is 45 minutes to an hour. And Tim likes to go an hour to an hour and a half. And they're intense. And there are times where man, I, I'm 40 plus years old. You know, it's like, it's, it's hard to say the fitness that I keep for fire and the fitness that I keep for hockey are similar, but there are definitely times where one I'm better at one than I am the other. Mm. So, but they definitely help each other, but man, you, you really do have to, it's, it's a wide variety of fitness you need because just sure. think of all the different things firemen have to do. Yeah. Right. So diverse. Yeah. What would you recommend to somebody who's maybe just getting started into fitness? To have a plan and, uh, whether it's, Hiring a trainer or um, getting an app, or I don't, I don't want to say anything that crushes your world, <laughs> but like knowing what you're going to do and tracking what you do to me and, and what I've noticed around the fire department is it's easy to go in and be like, all right, Tuesday's arm day. Let's go pump our arms or whatever. Great. What did I do last week? I don't know. I was just going to do 35s because that's what I did last time. I'm just going to do some bro curls and but if you really want to be stronger, you have to have a plan. And you, and in my mind, obviously you're the expert, but I feel like the only way you make that is if you have, like in the fire service, we call smart goals, right? Something that's, that's measurable and is it attainable, attainable, right? And, and you like, I like to keep track and I like to have those kind of goals. I like to say, all right, this month I'm going to do this and, and whatever, but I, it can't just be Tuesday's arm day. You have to... You have to modify it a little bit and you have to, uh, you know, you, the hardest part is getting there. And I, I've noticed that with a lot of guys. And I definitely noticed that with me is that if I could just get there and say, all right, I'm going to do it. And now what did I do last time? I'm going to either do more of that or, you know, harder of that or whatever. I just think if you don't have a plan, it's, it's just such a crapshoot mm-hmm. if you're going to get any progress. Yeah. And I guess if you don't care about progress and whatever, but if you really want to get fit, you have to have a plan. I love that. I think that's great advice. And look at you, man. You're 40, 47, 47, 47. You're in great shape. Still um, doing what you love. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm really lucky. And, uh, my, my fitness dropped off. It really kills me because the last couple, couple months I've been studying. It, it's been book workouts. I've been having to study for the, I do four or five hours of studying a day. Oh, wow. And, uh, that cut out of my gym time. And then all that, I took the tests and I went straight to the gym and I, I had my plan and I sat down and I started working out and I was like, my cardio is shot, just <laughs> completely shot. What I, what I had done two months ago and what I had thought I had, had done a few times since then, but it's weird. Cause I turned on my app. I have a, I have a tracking app and I turned it on and it's got like four notifications of the app just basically yelling at me like, hey, you haven't done this and you haven't done this. And I was like, oh, wow. I got on the treadmill and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to start off. I'm going to run a mile and a half and then I'm going to go do chests and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to run again. And I didn't get a mile and a half. I was spent before I got there. Wow. Like, it was a struggle to get to a mile. That's crazy how fast it goes. It goes. But you just got to go, right? And, and I was like, man, I started thinking back. I'm like, I could have came that day that I, I read for four hours and then I watched some stupid show. Like I could have gone and it just, it sucks when you don't go. Cause then you're like, well, I didn't go. So I'm not going to go today either or whatever. Yeah. It makes it easy to keep, keep with the habit of missing the gym. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was a real struggle the other day and then both I went back on shift and I went out and I worked out there and it was a real struggle, but I know that once I get in there and I know, and I've got, I'm keeping track of what I've done. I don't cheat myself that way. I get in there, I sit down. And if it, if what used to take me 45 minutes takes me an hour and a half, then all right, I still got to get it done. So, but no, I think that's great advice. Love that. Let's take a little break and wrap this thing up. All right.
So you are a guest on our podcast, which we really appreciate, but you have been podcasting for quite some time now. Yeah. Two years? Third season. Just started our third season. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about your podcast. So we, uh, I was lucky. I've I've been a DJ since I was in, I don't know. I think I started, I I started junior high. We definitely have a face for radio, but yeah, I know, you do I know. have a great voice for radio. Yes, indeed. I, I love the, uh, I'm lucky. Now I got the mustache too. Oh, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> for the listener, he has the perfect firefighter mustache. I just tell everybody I got sick of being the pretty one or I got sick of uh, people not knowing I was a fireman because that's a big joke, right? <laughs> How do you know if somebody's a fireman? Just wait five minutes, I'll tell you. That's hilarious. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I've loved radio and I got back into it when my kids got with it. They didn't need me coaching them anymore, and they got, you know, an empty nester or whatever. And I'd go to the radio station all the time, and I'd see all this other stuff they're doing, and I'm like, man, nobody here at KSL talks about hockey. And uh, so I pitched it to them, and they're like, no. I, I thought, well, why not? Like, I'll do it for cheap. I'll do it for less than, I'm. like, I'll just come in and do it for free, and or we'll start making revenue later or whatever. And they're like, eh, nah. So then another, a year goes by and I ask him again. I, I repitch the idea. I'm like, I want to do just a podcast. And let me, uh, let me and Gary Michaels, who's also a hockey player and a, and a DJ, I'm like, let us host a hockey and we'll just talk about everything that's going on hockey in Utah. And they finally said, okay, let's see what happens. Let's see. And I'm like, man, the hockey community is going to jump right behind this. This thing will be huge. And I started it and I emailed everybody in Utah high school hockey and I got zero I got zero feedback from Utah high school hockey. And I was like, I thought they'd be the ones that appreciated the coverage the most. Cause I was like, just send this to all your coaches. I want tell me about a player of the week and I'll, I got a sponsor to give prizes and we tried to grow it and we got zero feedback from them. But I was having guests like Trevor Lewis and friends that I'd made over the past, I've been with the Grizzlies for 21 years and that includes when they were in the AHL. So we've yeah. had, we've had super like, big names come through Trevor Daly who played for, Mm -hmm. he just retired from the Detroit Red Wings, but he was with the Dallas stars. Um, you know, and just Jason Bacashua who was with St. Louis. And I had all these friends and I just, so I started just interviewing NHL guys and AHL guys. And luckily we have more guys going pro out of Utah. And I just started really keeping tabs on those guys or guys that are playing college. And I just really tried to paint the picture of everything in Utah that's like anything hockey that comes from Utah or touched Utah, I'm going to talk about. And it, it started really growing. And I had, like, like I said, I had Trevor on there. And then I had Aaron Dell, who's, who was a goalie for the San Jose Sharks. And I had uh, Kevin McClelland, who's a legend with the Edmonton mm-hmm. Oilers, four Stanley Cups. And we started getting a followership. And then I had Evan Stofflet on when he was playing in that's Europe. Great. Yeah, and I would notice every time I'd have a group on, I'd get like – We'd get more and more downloads. And my podcast just blew up out of state. And then it started kind of coming back inward. We started getting more. um, So the first year, I thought they were going to cancel us because we didn't have a lot of in-state anything. And then even my co-host, Jordan Parisi, who, so I had Jordan Parisi co-host for a whole season while he lived here, who played in the NHL, who set all kinds of records at North Dakota when he was a goalie there. And whose dad was an NHL legend and whose brother is an NHL legend. Yeah. And I, I still wasn't getting the numbers from Utah that I needed. And then I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, the numbers were there. And I was at a meeting one, a meeting one day and they're they kind of just talking about, uh, you know, they have all their sports podcasts up. So we've got Scott Mitchell, who's a legend yep. NFL player, right? And then they... They had to handwrite mine in because they forgot to include mine on the PowerPoint. So they just wrote it on the board. And then they started talking about numbers and my numbers were up there. Like the hockey community had finally figured it out and started embracing it. And so, yeah, KSL is 100% behind it. We've got good numbers now. We've got sponsors and we still just get to follow and see what's going on. And we've got good things coming out of Utah. We've got more NCAA, NCAA players than we've ever had. We have more like... Uh, Nick Halloran's playing yep. in the AHL. I, I expect he gets a shot at the NHL. Uh, we've got Brickley, who's going to be healthy this year. Yep. So we've got some good players coming out of here and really doing good things. And 
It's cool. It's it's Utah is finally really doing something with hockey. It's awesome. And we're the only ones talking about it. It's great. I love that. I love to see that. And your podcast is fantastic. It's one of my favorites. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Really, really love it. Um, tell me about your latest project. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I got deemed (laughs) non-essential. So one of my favorite things in life is to share music. Like I'm passionate about it. Like I love it. And that's why I started radio when I was so young. And I loved being on rock and roll radio. And like I said, I was with K-Bear from the minute they went on the air until I left for college. And then when I'd come back, I'd go back to K-Bear. And when I wanted to get back in radio, my wife's like, do not go back to K-Bear. K-Bear was not like, she wanted me in a better environment. So I went to the Arrow and the Arrow is awesome because we get to play. Yeah, it's, it's been like number one forever. And it's like good classic rock and you're working for KSL, which is a good clean business. And I was really happy to be there. And then COVID hit and they're like, Hey, uh, you're non-essential. So don't, don't come in. And, uh, and they're like, you can just do your podcast from home. And I'm like, but how do I play rock and roll? So I was just sitting there and, uh, one of my friends had started his own radio station and I was like, I'm going to, I'm just going to start my own radio station. And I just started dumping money into software and licensing and all this stuff. So now I have mullet radio which is on the internet. It's on apps. So it's on Google play. It's on, it's in the app store for Apple. Yep. And I think it should either be today or tomorrow. You'll be able to tell your, you know, Hey Alexa, play mullet radio. Oh, sweet. Yeah. It's, it's going to be everywhere. And it's just, I don't have commercials. It's free. Like you don't have to pay for the app or anything. And it's just hair bands. <laughs> And it's just fun, man. It's so much fun. I love listening to it today. It was great. Yeah. And it's just, if you like those bands, if you, and there's, they're still making music and none of us are playing it. Like Tesla put out two albums in the last couple of years and they're phenomenal. And I just found out Stillheart put out a new song a couple months ago and uh, D Snyder from Twisted Sisters still doing it, you know, like they're, and Queen just released more stuff. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, LA Guns. So all these bands that were huge in the 80s and 90s, and they're still making music, and none of us knew, because nobody, nobody will play it. Wow. But I'm playing it all. That's awesome. I'm playing all of it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, kind of, it's goofy, and I know. And my wife's like, why, like, why did you just dump all this money into it? She doesn't even know about all the money. <laughs> she, doesn't, she has <laughs> no idea how much it actually costs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's so much fun. And That's it's, great. Yeah, I just get to share rock and roll. And I love that. We'll make sure we link to that in the podcast. Yeah, please do. Yeah, and it's great. mulletradio.rocks. Perfect. I didn't go with the dot com. I found dot rocks. I'm like, even that's better. Like custom made for even me. Better. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I didn't know that was an option. Oh, uh, that's great. That's yeah, fun. Awesome. Good for you. Um, well, let's, uh, let's ask the three questions. It's a tradition we have on our podcast to All ask right. um, these three questions. What's one thing in the last week that you learned or changed your mind about? You know, when I got that, you sent me that question. I was like, man, what have I learned and changed my mind about? And, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to get too political, but I've been listening to a lot of politics and I've been listening to a lot of stuff and I am, I'm open-minded about a lot of stuff. So I, I have been changing my mind on a lot of that stuff. And I don't want to say too much about what it is. Cause I don't want to make anybody mad. Yeah. Right. But let me just say that I'm, I'm listening to everything and I'm, I'm not just taking stuff that I find on Facebook or whatever, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of research and I, I go into it with the mindset of, I think I knew this and I think I was pretty, I had really strong feelings about it, but I don't know why. So I would research it. And there are some things that I thought I was a hundred percent for that I'm not. Hmm. And you know, even the death penalty, which all through my, my entire life, I'm like, absolutely. I'm for the death penalty and I'm not anymore. Hmm. And there are several things like that, that I just, I'm still for a lot of stuff that people will disagree with, but I'm open-minded to it. And I'm willing to uh, hear all the actual information and put my own, what I thought was right away and just learn. I think all of us could use a little bit more of that these days. Yeah, I hope, man. I, I wish, uh, you know, that's uh, my grandpa used to always teach me to be that way. He's like, you, you don't really know what you're talking about until you know what mm-hmm. you're talking about. So I love that. It's easy to just start replying to a question when you don't know the answer yeah. or you think you know the answer. Sure. But it's, it takes a little more effort to go mm-hmm. find out what the truth is. Love that. That's great. Second question What is one thing you wish you had done better? Oh, this promotions test. I don't know what the results are yet, but I mean, have you ever put a lot of work into something <laughs> and then the moment comes and, uh, 
you don't like, I just wish I could have slowed everything down. Mm. And like I said, I don't know what the results are. I, don't, I, I think I did pretty well, but you start playing things in your mind. So one thing I wish I could do better and that I, I hope I do in the future and that I hope everybody else can do is slow down. And in these intense moments, and it's weird that I, I have a life or death job and it's there's a lot of stress with it. And it, that doesn't stress me out. Like I love going on calls and I'm ready for that. But you put me in front of an interview panel that's asking me crazy questions about tell me a time when you were part of a high performance team and you were not effective. Oof. Like, and that, I have to answer that question in order to get promoted to the next level. Right. So I just started answering things and I wish I could, I, I wish I could slow things down and think them through a little bit better. Yeah. That's, That's cool. what I wish. Yeah. And life in general. Yeah. <laughs> slow it down and think it through. Slow it down. I love that. Uh, third thing. What is one thing you've done in the last week that you are very proud of? Uh, man, I hate to sound so cheesy because there's so many different things I, I could say, but, uh, I, I'm just proud of, uh, the work I put in, whether it's, whether it's going and, uh, doing my job and being prepared to do my job, that stuff makes me proud. Like I, I'm glad I'm prepared for it. And I'm glad I, I, with this promotional exam, it would have been easy to just say it's coming. I'm just going to take it. But man, I, I studied, I put in a lot of work and the exam was last week, last week. And then man, it was, a, it was a lot of stress and I'm, I'm proud it's over and I'm Good proud I did it. I'm proud that I actually put the work in. Cause I, I used to be the guy that would look for the shortcut and look for, you know, I always felt like, and I felt like cheating a little bit. Cause I'm like, man, I'm reading all these books. So I'm going to know all the answers, but that's what they want you to do. Sure. So this time I really did it. Good for you. <laughs> Super cool. I don't know if that counts, but that it's just weird. Counts. It's weird. To, yeah. And I, I, that's what I was telling. I actually was learning that from my kids who are super successful. And they're like, yeah, just put in the work. Just, I love you know, it. Yeah. They're, that's amazing. They're fun. That's so awesome. Uh, listen, Jay, you've been very generous with your time with us today. Um, you've been generous to me in the past by letting me score on you so many times. I really am <laughs> very grateful uh, for that. You and I have very different memories of this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's any records, so we don't need to go back on that. Um, what's, what's one thing you maybe want somebody to walk away from this conversation with? Uh, you know, I just hope people know that uh, I've had a really good life. And I, I think a lot of that comes from being humble and 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 I wasn't always that way. It was a transformation for me and learning to appreciate everybody that's around me and uh, just take the time to learn the people that are around you and be humble with it. Love it. That's great. Well, thank you again for your time. If somebody wants to reach out to you, do you have a place that um, people can go? Uh, just find Mullet Radio on Facebook. <laughs> I'm available on Facebook. I'm all over the place. Great. We'll I'm hard to, to avoid, really. <laughs> we'll link to that. We hope we don't have to call you in an emergency situation, but it's really great to know that you're there on the ice, off the ice. Um, we're really grateful for your service and grateful for your time and wisdom today. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that has been Boundless Body Radio. <laughs>